0: Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It is a Saturday night. We just finished uh, our first uh, healthcare business... Oh no, what is it? What is the fucking course called?
1: Healthcare Business Entrepreneurship Strategies for Success.
0: Yeah, we just finished day one of that today and then... Uh, I had a patient or client, this dude that's sitting on the couch, come in for a treatment, and uh, we're we're thinking, let's just uh, let's do something on these. Let's have a
1: conversation with a client. Hey everyone, it's Amanda, and I had actually gone home post course because, as you can hear from my voice. I It's shot after talking all day. We had a great class today. And Mark What was your favorite part me. of the class today? What was my favorite part of the class today? Um, yeah. I honestly think there was some good parts in every session. I enjoyed doing the strategic planning and helping all of the different therapists get their started. I would say that was probably a highlight. That sounds
0: like a good highlight.
1: I'm a dork. Anyway, um, so I went home. I went home and I even got into my pajamas and I started doing laundry And Mark texts me and said, hey, you want to record a podcast tonight? There's a client here and he wants to sit down and have a conversation. So here I am, Saturday night,
0: back at work. But it's not a bad thing. There's uh, some Kim Crawford on the table somewhere. There's um, (laughs) Mill Street Organic.
1: We had some good pizza.
0: Yeah, some good pizza. This should be sponsorship. We should be... I should be getting paid every time we say these names. names. Yeah. I
1: think we should have just said wine and beer. Anyway, uh, so... Today, we are chatting with Kurt, who is a client of Mark's and a longtime friend. Um, we're not 100% certain what we're going to talk about, but Kurt really wanted to have a conversation about Rush and the recent passing of the, arguably, the best drummer in the entire world and these two hardcore Rush When you say arguably Rush like fanatics. that, do you mean
0: like we can argue it or it's 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 a non-argument? I don't think I know what that phrase means.
1: You know, it's I guess... That
0: <laughs> Kurt's thinking about it He's like oh, what
1: does some, a, a statement like that Best drummer in the world Is highly subjective But I feel like Majority of people Especially people Very into music Anybody mm. in the music industry Would agree That he was The best we drummer We can say it like
0: this He was your favorite drummer's favorite drummer. Yes. That's it. That's the answer.
1: He was your favorite drummer's favorite drummer. Might
0: not be your cup of tea because the band's might not be your cup of tea, but he is definitely your favorite drummer's favorite drummer. Well,
1: and also his life was super interesting and he was super interesting. So Kurt was... A huge fan, is a huge fan, and wanted to talk about it and talk about brain cancer and all of the shit that he dealt with. And the reason I haven't said his name yet is I want to find out from the two biggest Rush fans in the world who are in this room with me, how do you guys pronounce his last name? Because I've heard it pronounced like three different ways. It's Peart.
0: Peart? It's like pear with a T
2: on the end. Like ear Peart.
1: (laughs) Peart. Okay, cool. So... Kurt thanks for hanging out after your treatment
2: how does your neck feel better way better I can actually move left to right um, so I'm I can practice being an owl now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I understand why you and Mark are friends, man. He came in with some, <laughs>
2: some neck issues. Can I say what your neck issues were? I, sure? sure, that's
0: I, why I'm here. I have your consent to talk about your <laughs> neck issues. Yeah, of course. He came in with some neck issues. Um, he was doing some stuff. So there's some soft tissue. So there's some soft tissue limitations that are in his cervical spine. We did some motion palpation. We uh, I didn't tell him all this, but we did some motion palpation. And um, C4 down into T1, there was uh, severe limitations with cervical movement. Um, we did some crazy joint mobilizations to restore some of that movement. It's pretty good stuff.
1: And he's moving now, so it worked. You're yeah. magical, Mark.
2: Yep. Don't move furniture by yourself when, <laughs> when you're over forty. I think that's the lesson I learned. I don't like moving. I hate moving. How many times have you moved in your life? Like moved, look, like homes. Moved homes. Yeah. Good question since a kid. Sure, yeah. Even ones I wasn't really involved with.
1: <laughs> you have a lot of questions for this question. <laughs> yeah, how many times do you How live? many houses have okay, you well, lived in, see. Kurt? Okay,
2: well, let's just be geographical about it. So sure. there was one move to Canada. That's so one. Oh, you, from, were born Jamaica. From Jamaica, yeah. you were born in Jamaica. You were born in... Jamaica. How United have Trump's I family.
1: known you for twelve years and didn't know you were born in Jamaica? I <laughs> do do don't know know you talk like Ronald, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you do the accent when you're with family. Uh,
2: that's that's a good topic. I, I find that that's a Jamaican thing. I, I I don't have an accent, from what I understand. Well, but but when you are in a room full of other Jamaicans speaking with an accent, you tend to speak so you more do. like them, so but you, not necessarily in an accent. But certain words will be pronounced different among those people. Give me an example. <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, there, there could be words that, that don't even make sense in English. Do you know that
0: you're doing it? Do you realize? Because like, okay, we have, a, we have a really good friend. His name is Ron. He's also Jamaican Chinese. Yeah. You're Jamaican Chinese. He's Jamaican Chinese. Ron was born here, right? But yeah. Ron's family, his brother's... Um, They were born in Jamaica. His parents were obviously born in Jamaica. When he is talking with every other dude, every other white dude around, Ron sounds like a white dude, right? As soon as he's around his family... His Jamaican accent is fucking crazy, but he yeah, doesn't even know I, he's I, doing I it. That. He's, he's on fucking autopilot. He has no clue. I'd be like, yo, man, you're speaking with an accent. he's like, what are you talking
2: about? I, I I would be conscious of it, I think. Cause I, I, I noticed doing it because I know that the person receiving it will understand it better if I say it in more of an accent versus mm. so you're my mindful. usual.
0: Look at you. You're a communication mindful guy. Could I like be, that. Yeah. Kurt's actually a funny dude. I'll tell you why. <laughs> Can we say what you do for work? Yeah, I don't care. Kurt's a lawyer, right?
1: Kurt is the lawyer that we always talk about that yes. does homework for Oh, yeah good. i'm
0: like does this guy even like his job he just fucking does homework all the time
2: <laughs> homework what do you mean
1: homework well that's generally
0: to me what lawyers do which is, is just homework well, yeah you I, get assignments I, yes and you look shit up right. and then you cre- and then you create documents it's like doing book reports yeah and uh and then you and the only difference is you charge people a lot of money for that, that shit
2: well i equate it to having having doing exams for the rest of my life i do like it's it's like ah, studying for an exam for like, a, like a big open book exam. and it never ends
0: I didn't even think of it. Like, so, do you like doing that shit, or what? Or is it just the way to 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 bring well, in the I, big bucks? And
2: well, that's part of it. But uh, I really wanted to be a writer. <laughs> and this is, uh, I get to write and make a living out of it mm, I didn't think that One way
0: to look at it Wait, 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 what kind of writer? Like
2: novels? Actually, I, I don't know if I've told But I, there was one point when I was in law school That I wanted to then go into journalism after law school Okay, well let's let's back this up a little bit Because <laughs> as, as dopey as
0: he sounds right now And I'll say that you sound dopey just period Because sometimes yeah, you sound yeah, like a dopey guy probably do. He's probably one of the smartest dudes I've ever fucking met in my life I
1: will agree with you And I also know some of this backstory as but he, as for, he drinks a beer for everybody <laughs> listening Instead of Mark telling us Kurt, why don't you do a quick introduction of yourself? Like okay. what yeah. you do, um, a little bit about your your backstory, and uh, actually, at some point, I got to tell the story of how we met because that's a fun one.
0: I don't even I
2: think know. I remember that. I, I, I know. Yeah. Oh yeah, scars to prove it. Oh, you fucking guys.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Kurt, introduce yourself. Uh, talk okay. a little well, bit about
2: you. When I was a kid, I fell down a cave. There
0: were <laughs> a lot of bats. Yeah, What's about to say? <laughs> that's a story I've seen on TV before. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well,
2: yes, I'm a lawyer. Um, maybe sort of fell in. Into it. How do you fall into law? Doesn't sound something. Uh, something you fall well, into. I could, I, I'll tell you. Uh, I because I after high school got into a, a chartered accounting program, uh, following my brother's footsteps more or less. Where's that Waterloo? Waterloo. Yeah, was doing great in it. I uh, got good marks, but I, at one point, I've, I've, I just decided I, mean, I can't do this for the rest of my life.
0: How it, long? How long were you into the program before you said fuck it?
2: One full year, and then about I think another half term, okay. and then then I. <laughs> applied and got into law school.
0: So you don't have an undergrad degree?
2: Technically, no. Well, mm-hmm. the law degree is an undergrad degree, technically.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
2: But I guess that's, I sort of fast-tracked a bit. Most people get a degree, then go to law
0: Yeah, that seems very fast-tracked, by the way. Not just a little bit. But
1: you just said he's one of the smartest dudes you know. Well,
0: yeah. So you're three years into your undergrad, and then you then you went to law school. More or less, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, That's that, that, that makes you pretty smart, dude. I think so. Yeah,
2: mm. not really.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what the best part of this is? Again, like, anyone listening, if anyone's still listening to, us, Kurt and Mark are both very interesting characters because both of them combined are probably two of the most intelligent people that I know personally.
0: That's nice. You, that's scary. you
1: guys are. I mean, that's scary. Know, eh? And you know what? It is a little scary because majority of the time the two of them are together, they're giggling like Beavis and Butthead. Actually, not just I'm not comparing them, they actually do Beavis and Butthead voices. <laughs> <laughs> they make fart jokes. They you can't talk laugh at a fart. about Something's they talk about you. Rush majority of their life. Yeah. I mean, we on the on the drive here. Here, because they came and picked me up. They were talking about old episodes of Hawaii 5 and Magnum.
0: You missed the WKRP talk too. Oh actually. boy. <laughs> so,
1: I mean, as dopey as these two are together, they're both super intelligent, but this is what I think makes you guys so appealing to people because you're real people, but you're both super intelligent. You can have a real conversation, but you're not so, you know, stiff upper lip. You're just, Real and fun. Oh, I love that. Yeah, meet I kind of get it
0: because, like, we were at a buddy's wedding in Dominican, and this is—I'm <laughs> never going to forget wasn't this. Was that like, your wedding? No, this wasn't my wedding. This was uh, this was a, a friend of ours. We actually roomed t- together. Okay, trip. okay. Yeah. yeah, and so beside Kurt at at this. I guess it was the night before they got married, a dinner that they invited everyone to be at. Yes. Beside Kurt is me on one side and so he's got to turn to the left and do Beavis and Butthead. And then to the right of him was, was he a preacher, a pastor, a something? He was something like that. Oh yeah. yeah. And so Kurt would have to turn to the right and be like all like philosophical and and have like a whole like real conversation about shit. And then two seconds later he turned to me and do Beavis (laughs) and Butthead. And then it was like this back and forth thing of like super intellectual conversation and then like just stupidness.
1: I feel that's what it's like when Kurt hangs out with us because he'll turn to me. So Amanda, how's Life, how are the kids? What's new? And then he'll turn and say some dumbass shit to you. So it's, I get it. You are multifaceted, my friend. <laughs> I have to ask you
0: a question though, yep. because you are Chinese uh, from <laughs> Jamaica. You no, know, this is a legit Let question. Let me ask you
1: a question as a Chinese. This person.
0: is legit question because we had my buddy Steve on, who is. We have uh, the red stripe virus in Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Aww. <laughs> too soon, too soon. You can't say that oh, shit yet. Come on. Oh. <laughs> red stripe virus. Everyone's like red stripe. Jamaican beer, right? That's for all of our listeners that don't partake in drinking beer. I have a buddy named Steve. He is also Caribbean Chinese. He's uh, Chinese from Trinidad. I think I know Yeah. And uh, I had him on the podcast and we were talking about entrepreneurship because he, at one point, he had a partner. He opened up like an education business, very similar to what we do here and blah, 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 blah. And Steve used to do some work with us every once in a while. And so we had a whole conversation about what he does and in, in, in his choice of education. And he, to this day, still feels his parents are super- super disappointed in him because he did not go to med school. And he pretty much says, like, listen, you got Chinese parents and Chinese parents just, they just want you to become a fucking doctor. That's it. That's all there is to mm. it. Were you ever pressured by your folks to be like, yo, we want
1: you to go? No, not at all. They
2: didn't I mean, pressure you anyway? No. Um, school was a priority and doing well in school was a priority, but there was no pressure to do a certain thing. Mm.
1: I never would have felt that from what I know of his family. And I mean, you and all your siblings are very, you're all educated. You all have really good careers. but. None of you guys are doctors, right? There's an accountant, there's a... Somebody who works County in education, yeah. lawyer, like you, you guys are all very educated people.
2: Yeah. No, there was no pressure to do anything. I guess, you know, just, are, are your parents super educated? No, not at all. Mm. Um, I can't even remember. No, and I, like, like high school and then maybe some training at work after that. Nothing beyond that really. Mm. But, but I think back to, I mean, one are your, the point, uh, my dad was very entrepreneurial. I think he had that, that business, business yeah. ethic and yeah. never really wanted to work for anyone. And I think that's, I kind of followed that that path a bit because I I never fit into working for corporations or other people kind of thing. It's tough. I don't know how
0: you did it for a while. I don't know how you did it, to be honest with you. I don't know how you put on a fucking tie and slacks and dress shoes and you had a briefcase and you're walking downtown on Bay Street. Like, I don't know how you do that. Well, I don't
2: know if I ever did that, but I I did work downtown in a corporation and yeah, no, it wasn't for me. It's like, uh, it's the herd mentality. I can't, can't really follow.
0: Mm, Why? What about it? Can't you follow?
2: I I, don't, I just don't like thinking like the majority, or maybe I don't think like the majority. And and corporations are I think are are designed to employ the majority, not not individual thinkers and individual. Did that
0: make people. working hard for you? Other than you maybe disliking it. Did it create any kind of strife
2: in your workplace? No, no. But I found it extremely—it was extremely easy mm. to tell you the truth. I, and I—I I felt if I kept at it, I would I would. My mind would have turned to to mush, and uh, so I thought I'd, I'd try something else. And that wasn't working in law, though, right? Not. Not directly, directly, indirectly.
0: So did you almost feel like your your law degree is kind of wasted at this point working, working uh, I,
2: for that, that was a bit of it. Yeah, I wanted to have a go at, at at just being a lawyer on my own terms and and I thought I may as well do it at the time. I, I may as well do it before I have any other commitments marriage,
1: kids, whatever. So I did. That was the perfect description of somebody who has an entrepreneurial mind though. Corporations are built for herd mentality and conformity. And if you're not that person, then working in a corporation, yes, it'll be super easy because a lot of it is is mundane kind of work, I guess. Not all of it, but mm. y- you don't have to challenge yourself. You do what you're told to do you follow the status quo and just go to work and put on your suit and do what you're told to do so obviously like your father you're you're an entrepreneur you needed to work for yourself you're not employable was that
0: a tough decision though
2: or to, to, to
0: say like, i'm not own. gonna do this anymore and go on your own and do stuff or was that an easy thing for you to do Um
2: uh, I, I thought it, I, it was no i took some 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 time to think about it because you're giving up a good salary good benefits and mm-hmm. a future if you want for the rest of your life or, or a job for the rest of your life in, in, in a really good corporation that's not going to go anywhere, but I really felt I had to give it a try, at least, at least try on my own, see where it took me. And, uh, ultimately, you know, he felt I ended up feeling more rewarded by doing that and more fulfilled. That's a true entrepreneur. That is mm-hmm. the, the willingness to take
0: that risk.
1: Because we're speaking so seriously now, I almost <laughs> think it's inappropriate to go back and tell the story of how Kurt and I met, but fuck it. It's Saturday night and we're drinking. I have to tell this story because it's so much fun. You must. If I must. Yeah. I think
2: It's the same story I remember, I think. It is. Okay, You then told then the story tell- at
1: our wedding, so it's definitely <laughs> the same story. Uh, so uh, on Canada Day 2008, I received a phone call from Mark saying, I'm hanging out at the distillery with one of my buddies. Do you want to come meet us for some drinks or food or whatever? So I went down there and I met Kurt for the first time. We had only been hanging out maybe about 20 minutes when we got an invite to another gathering, a barbecue. So the three of us uh, settled up. We left And Mark and Kurt were down there before I was. So they got in a car together. I jumped in my own car. And to fast forward a little bit, all of a sudden I'm driving in bumper to bumper traffic and I see Kurt running down the street, which was really confusing (laughs) because I had watched him get into a car with Mark. So I started honking and yelled for him to come and he came and jumped in my car. Uh, apparently he really had to pee and thought he could jump out, go pee and find Mark because it was bumper to bumper traffic and that plan failed. So now him and I are driving (laughs) together to the barbecue and we get a call from Mark that there's something wrong with his car and he's got to pull over and check it out. And I'll spare you the details, but the phone call ended with me hearing a blood curdling scream from Mark and him saying that, Something had exploded in his face. He couldn't see a thing and he didn't know where he was.
0: (laughs) That was a fun day.
1: Really? Was it? So Kurt and I uh, doubled back. We turned around. Now we're driving in crazy Canada Day traffic, um, like right down in the beaches. So... There was just cars everywhere, and we're trying to figure out where Mark is. We're not even a hundred percent sure what happened to him. I get a phone call, and some woman had found him and brought him into her backyard and no, called that's, an ambulance. That's
0: not what happened. I walked into a Canada Day backyard party, wandered
1: into somebody's yeah, backyard, pretty
0: much with and a burnt face. With a burnt face. And I I asked them, I th- uh, do I look okay? And they're like, you look fucking horrible, dude. We need to call you an ambulance. I said, okay, cool. Can you call me an ambulance? That'd be great. Can I also have a beer? <laughs> they would
1: not give would not a beer. They would not give me a beer. I'm yeah. like,
0: if some fucking dude strolled in with a fucking burnt up face in my candidate party and was like, I just want a beer. It'll help with the pain. I would give him a fucking case of beer. Well,
2: they, they were concerned about you. No,
1: health. they were trying to be responsible. Nobody had any idea what happened to you. So... Anyway, Kurt and I finally find Mark at this backyard party. EMS was there. And uh, yeah, he had pretty severe burns all around his eyes and melted the contacts off his eyes. I think
0: that's what happened. I don't know where the contacts ended. Did you
2: lose time when that happened? You said you you didn't know where you were?
0: No, 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 no. I didn't lose time. I didn't lose time. I think
1: just the pain was so intense. I think he was a little bit in shock. Like We arrived at that backyard Barbecue and Mark was still saying, like, somebody just give me a beer because I think he wanted something to numb the pain.
0: Did you guys show up there after EMS was there? Like, was EMS I already Because they already there. doused me in saline. To yeah, just EMS clean was me up. already
1: there when we arrived. Yeah. You were almost unrecognizable. Like, your eyes were so swollen, shut. Were closed. We yeah, couldn't see that, anything. Yeah. Um, we were uncertain for probably about three days if you were even going to be able to see again because obviously you couldn't put contacts in your eyes. You couldn't put your glasses on because the burns were so severe around your eyes and on your nose hmm. so for a few days we weren't certain what your vision was going to be ah. so i mean mark and i had been dating for maybe like a month to two months at this point mm-hmm. and that was also the night that i first met his mother oh,
0: that was a fun night that was the first night you, you said you love me by too the way. it was like <laughs> i look fabulous now right like early um, face look yeah.
1: <laughs> false false <laughs> you tricked me into saying i love you so Kurt was so awesome that night. Like I said, we didn't know each other. We had met for twenty minutes at the Distillery District, and then we get into this yeah, whole traumatic you're dealing situation. With a, with an emergency. So Kurt went back down to the beaches because <laughs> I I jumped in the the ambulance with Mark. Kurt drove my car to the hospital. He went back down to the beaches and got Mark's car. Like he was like the hero of the entire night. So. In the hospital, Mark tricked me, though. He was all, like, drugged up They with me up
0: on, on pain meds. It was, it was a good time.
1: And he turns to me, and he's like, will you still love me if I end up disfigured? Because his face, like I said, it was unrecognizable. Oh, he's, oh, he's and, you know, like, he's all he's, he's all scared. sad and on a hospital. And I was like, of course. And he just starts laughing. He's like, ha, 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 ha. You, you said the you sick love me. Come on, me. my God. Good, right? You played the
2: sick card. It was, all, it was car. all part of one big plot. That's pretty underhanded. Yeah. <laughs> was, right?
1: He likes to tell everyone. It was
2: all planned. Man. Exactly. I tell you no, it was exactly. all <laughs> exactly.
1: Anyway, so that's how Kurt and I met. And uh, so I've definitely felt a connection with Kurt ever since then. We... We survived some trauma I mean Mark's face took the brunt of it But you know <laughs> But you do look beautiful now It's as if it yeah. never happened
0: Well Kurt and I've had weird moments Like that man <laughs> Like uh, There was one time We went to We went to Florida We used to go to Florida a lot We used to have a place In New Smyrna Beach, Florida Hence it's my happy place And I've been going down there forever Remember So we saved some guy's life Yes That was the yeah. night We like we, we did everything that night <laughs> We went to We went to a bar in Daytona And we came out And there's like There's all this commotion with a couple people like there's a little ditch right beside the bar and at the bottom of these massive rocks and there's a little bit of commotion that's going on and there's some girl that's down in the ditch she's fallen down in the ditch and we're like okay we need to like someone's got to call the ambulance or we got to take her to the hospital Whatever of the cases she didn't want to fucking go She's like, I don't have insurance. I can't pay for this. Someone just take me home. Someone put me in a car and take me home. And there was a couple people that were trying to pick her up and fucking put her in a car to take her home. And we're like, no, 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 no. You can't do this. She fell down a ditch. like, And she, and she can't move. So we're like, no, someone's just got to call the fucking cops. Or someone's got to, sorry, not call the cops. Someone's got to call an ambulance. And so we were just kind of holding her head, making sure she didn't move just in case there was any kind of spinal cord involvement. And there was other dudes there just kind of trying to pick her up. We're like, no, no, you gotta leave her here. And then finally EMS and cops showed up and we're like, let's just get the fuck out of here because, you know, next thing you know, you and I are in a jail cell somewhere because someone <laughs> says we pushed this broad. You know what I mean? And we just hightailed it out of there after a while. Yeah, we, what po- a we possibly sad, saved her life. yeah we probably a sad did.
1: state though that, I mean, we could get into a whole discussion about this and we won't, but she was legitimately hurt and didn't want to call an ambulance because she has no insurance. Yeah, but
0: she was also drunk out of her fucking face. She probably didn't even know what the hell she was saying. Nobody's hero. Nobody's hero. <laughs> yeah, so we saved some lives that night. and that Was that the same night? <laughs> We're in Kurt's car. Kurt's got a convertible. He's got a little red convertible. And uh, so this night Kurt was partaking in several drinks, and we're driving, driving. He's like, "I need air, I need air." Well, this and was started. my first
2: exposure to the happy hour concept. Yes, in, this was in this, this was a bar up in Canada. Yeah,
0: no. this was at one of those one of those places in Daytona. It feels like it, it's fucking spring break there, like every night. At least when we went, it, it was like that. You know, one of those places where you pay ten bucks to get in, and they give you a, they give you like this fluorescent fucking cup, and they're like drink for free all night. Essentially, there was a cutoff. I think. It the, went cu- up to- Oh, yeah, I wasn't Nine all night it was, The cut off so was like 10 o'clock I tried to o'clock. take advantage of that yeah, so time I remember now. The cutoff was like 10 o'clock And we <laughs> showed up We got in there At like 5 to 10 And Kurt's like I gotta drink as much as I can In these 5 minutes And so he got hammered And we're driving <laughs> We're driving back to our place In a convertible And he's just like Head hanging out the side I need air I, I'm like dude The fucking top is down Like I don't know How much more air you can get He's like I gotta throw up So we ended up Pulling over him to yak We didn't realize We pulled right into the police fucking parking lot he <laughs> just yacked all over the place we're like okay let's just really get the hell out of here now it's a fun trip
1: and now he's a lawyer.
0: Yeah.
1: What type of law do you practice, Kurt? Um, it started off
2: family law. So, you know, divorces and things like that.
0: Ooh, the shit you must fucking have yeah, seen.
1: Yeah,
2: we could uh, we can get that out if you want. And then <laughs> uh, then I added real estate at one point. And then the, the real estate's kind of been growing. So I'd say it's about um, probably 60 or 70% real estate now and the rest family law. Yes.
1: Thank you. We used you when we bought our place.
2: Family
0: law, though. that must Does it make you sad,
1: family law? Um, I feel
0: like that would make me sad. It,
2: it gets. You you see people at their ugliest, really, and I don't think, and the system that it creates, uh, it's adversarial, so it creates a, a winner and a loser, mm. and no one wants to be the loser, so you have people at their worst fighting for things. Can I ask
0: you a question? Sure. Have you seen Wedding
2: Crashers? The movie?
0: Yeah, the movie. Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn.
2: I, I'm pretty sure I have. I don't remember all of the, the details.
0: There's an opening scene where they are they are with a couple that's getting- They're mediators. Getting, yes, yes. But there's an opening scene that they're with a couple, then they're trying to settle up their divorce, and the, the couple is just going at it. And yeah. I was curious if, if that's kind of what it's like.
2: It can be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, you're seeing a, a couple at their worst. Uh, something had, has obviously triggered the separation, so is it, is one it, person's it, blaming the other for something, usually. Is there, hate, really is there that, hate there, or is there still love there? A majority of time, at that point, there's there's hate. There's, uh, there's there, no love there, left? I I doubt it at that point. No. Otherwise, you would have solved it on your own. You wouldn't get a lawyer, right? Well,
0: maybe. I think. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. What do I know?
2: Nah, and then, yeah, and then it gets ugly when you're you're fighting over kids and fighting over, you know, who sees Johnny on his birthday in Halloween and stupidness like that. It gets really stupid. Does it get
0: dirty? Uh, or is it just ugly? Both, I think. I mean, is there, there's a difference, right? I think there's a difference. What would you say the difference is, just so to well, clarify? Well, when myself.
1: I think, when you say, does it get dirty? I think fighting dirty, so... You, Doing things like, you know, using the kids against the other parent or doing things that are really low just, I've, to, I've just to win.
2: I've seen that. Yeah, I've, I've seen parents trying to coach kids to say certain things. or Like that, that's yeah. dirty hmm.
1: and ugly. I mean, ugly kind of is like the umbrella term just for when things didn't end amicably. A lot of couples can separate and still civilly decide... On things like custody agreements and whatever, and don't have to get lawyers and mediators involved. But if you, like Kurt said, if you've brought lawyers in, things have gotten ugly. Typically, I'd say yes.
2: Yeah. At that point. I mean, there are, there are stories out there. And I have seen examples of people who do separate amicably and they're, they're still friends and they, they deal with their kids, you know, great. But Mm -hmm. I think that's a minority from what I've seen It anyway. doesn't sound fun. No. I mean, that's why I'm not, I'm not too upset that it, it's it's a smaller Small percentage part, yeah. of what I do now. Hmm, interesting. So
1: we actually started out, I'm not, we don't, you don't have to answer this, but we started out talking about the way Kurt got his neck injury by moving a bunch of shit <laughs> and you said you hate moving and Kurt oh, never, wait, did never, never did answer how, yeah, so how many times thought. he has moved. No, that's okay. <laughs> okay so I, I mean, started, the tangents are what we do. We started
2: with the one, okay, so one from Jamaica to Canada and we moved to, to somewhere in Scarborough. So that's one, right? <laughs> That's one. Another move from Scarborough to Markham. So that's two. Yeah. Then I moved. Then another move within Markham. So that's three. So Markham to Markham. Then I moved downtown Toronto. So that's four. Then I moved back. Back to, to Markham. Markham. That's five. <laughs> now Markham, Richmond Hill. So six. It's a lot of moving. I
1: didn't meet you till house number five. The Markham one? Yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I remember going to- I had a drum set
2: in in the living room. You
1: did. <laughs> I remember going to a party at your house in Markham yes, just before that's... it wasn't going to be your house anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Is this where a lot of uh, rock band was played? Is that what
2: happened? No, that's that's <laughs> one part. I
1: think you're talking about what
2: like, my now wife would have been there and her friends, I think. Uh,
1: I don't know. There's lots of parties. And anytime your wife and her friends were involved, there was also <laughs> lots of tequila. Kurt's yes. wife is Persian, and apparently they told me it's like, A Persian thing To drink lots of tequila
2: Tequila just happened to be The drink of choice Uh In her circle of friends Yeah
1: Her and her friends They loved the tequila So I'm pretty certain Your wife thinks That I'm a raging alcoholic It just I can't handle my tequila I actually don't drink tequila anymore Uh, Because I cannot Handle my tequila I have three shots of tequila I'm done I don't like tequila at all No I can't can't do do
2: it it. I I never enjoyed it But But you do it just for the fuck of it Yeah basically
1: (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's alcohol in general though Isn't it (laughs) Some people enjoy it Like genuinely really enjoy it
1: yeah i mean there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that enjoy like nice tequilas and sipping on them but there's certain alcohols that i just i will never see the appeal it's like you with your scotch i mean you're not so much a drinker anymore but you used to appreciate a really nice scotch whereas i would take a sip of it and i was like okay i can see how this tastes smoother and better than the cheap shit But I still don't enjoy it. Scotch was never appealing to me.
2: Yeah, not for me anymore. I don't do booze as much as I sip my beer. (laughs) I think any any alcohol is an acquired taste. You think so? Your first beer tastes like crap. Your first wine tastes like crap. And and then you get to
1: appreciate it over time. It's true. Alcohol in general is definitely an acquired taste. It's not like... Water or juice which are almost universally loved.
0: Mm, <laughs> totally agree. So
1: let's let's talk about I don't know what we're talking about. Let's talk about, about what about we're anymore. actually gonna talk about. For real. Like Kurt Why and Mark we were heartbroken <laughs> to hear the news of Neil Peart passing. And honestly, Mark never gets affected by celebrity deaths because I didn't know the guy. I genuinely saw sadness in you that day. Yeah, I think I was sad. it it really affected
0: yeah. you guys. So that guy with uh, two other dudes wrote the soundtrack to my to my existence,
2: man. I would tend I agree as well, obviously. And it did hit me. It hit me as hard or, um, as any other loss in my life. Is that weird to say? It is. I, it's, it's almost it's embarrassing to say yeah, that do you, you feel stupid you, you, saying like, it. Yeah, you're affected by the loss of somebody you never knew. Yeah, but um, it is a person that I've, I've read, listened to, mm-hmm. interpreted lyrics, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost as if he's been in my head. His voice has been in my head for over forty years. It's, it's the first band I ever can claim to have liked and still do. First albums I've ever bought. First band that I identified with, or or sort of created my own identity with as well. So it's it's a long history. Can
1: I ask you guys both a question then I don't care who answers first. I mean, there's probably so many answers to this question, but if you could give me the simplest version, what was it about Rush when you first heard them? What was it that hooked you guys in so hard? Because I've never met two bigger Rush fans than you two. Ever.
0: First of all, every Rush fan is 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 crazy. I believe you. You're the only tribe, two I know. Whole tribe of people that are, and artists.
2: we're not even the biggest of, uh, of of the fans I've seen or have now met. More but what of- was we're fans. it? For, They're what was fanatical. It what
1: what was it for you that roped you in? Mark, you you want to go first?
0: Oh man, there's a whole bunch of things. I like music a lot. Um, I play music, and so I dig music. But I was into. I I got into Rush even before I was really into music. But I truly, truly grew to uh, appreciate what was going on when I started playing music. They're they're musicians, musician. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's there's a certain level of complexity that is there that I can truly appreciate as a musician. There is a level of intelligence that is there in mm-hmm. lyrics that you don't see a lot of, to be honest with you. Or you don't see it consistently with a band. Or just generally music. So there's there's a lot of intelligence that rolls in with every rush album on a number of tracks on every album. It's it's mind blowing, right? Versus, okay, you might there might be some sort of some sort of thing going on with a certain band and their lyrics and it might be there on one song, two songs, but this is consistent, consistent, consistent. So you mix that with a certain complexity of the music for me. Um, a certain sound that really you don't hear. It's 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 a very distinct type of sound. Um, I can
1: see how it's not appealing to a whole whole bunch of people. Can I stop you right there? Yeah, with it not being appealing to a whole bunch of people, Mm -hmm. I agree with you that Rush has a very distinct sound. But the distinct sound, I think, a lot of it comes from Getty's voice itself. Rush, Mm -hmm. their music, and I I wouldn't I as a non-musician and somebody who doesn't know Rush inside and out like you guys do, Mm -hmm. I find different songs have such drastically different feels and different influences from different genres of music. Like there's, even within one song sometimes, I feel like the way that they play can sound like there's different styles all melding together. So I feel like Rush could have been more universally loved and accepted. I think they, they just sort of became this like, like under the radar band with this cult following and they just stayed that way. But I feel like when people who didn't necessarily love Rush, weren't necessarily Rush fans, listen to any Rush track, they're like, fuck, this is good. Like, aside from people who really hate Getty's voice, I think there's a lot of people who really yeah, cannot get I, on board I with I think that the, voice. The,
2: you know, Getty's voice is, is a is a polarizing topic. But I, I equate it to, look, you know, if you, you step back and you look at the voice of, say, uh, uh, Billy you know, Cork, Rose of of, of Guns N' Roses, Billy Cork, they got weird voices too when you think totally about weird, it. Yeah. yeah. But they just happened to break through and be a bit more commercial. Than oh, for Bush sure. Avril Levine,
1: yeah, he's yeah. got
2: the weirdest fucking voice ever.
1: Adam Levine, you mean? But, uh,
2: yeah, um, yeah, Adam Levine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Adam
1: Levine. Yeah, yeah, I was like, uh, Avril's but, so generic. Yeah. What are you saying? <laughs> no, but on the counterpoint,
2: I, mean. I, I think that his voice made a lot of the music very, very unique, yep yes a- and when you look at it when you try to hear someone who anyone try to do a cover of getty's voice it never works like mm-hmm. it's very a very unique voice and and uh so I think that it worked. It was it worked on one level, but I could see how it maybe made them less radio friendly. Or well, there's a whole
1: bunch of things friendly. that
0: make them not radio friendly. Things like the length, the of, length of the, the length of tracks, right? But then, yeah.
1: how come Led Zeppelin was so huge?
2: That's a, that's a, but that's a different well, time. Led Zeppelin that's, wasn't a, a, a was They were a an album band as well. Exactly.
0: Mm. I mean, they get they get tons of radio play now on classic rock stations, right? But mm. that's a whole other story. Um, it, that's not the only. Reason so the length of tunes make it very difficult for radio play i think the the genre of music that they that they play or that they pioneered is not generally radio friendly type of music it's different and along with that the complexity of the music and when i say complexity of the music when you change time signatures in a song And you do it effortlessly But it's not necessarily Appealing to the ear Unless someone is really Into that complex Type of stuff When you go from A 7-8 time To a 4-4 four, four time To a 5-4 time Like to do that In a song And make it sound Effortless And do it In a transition That is very smooth One is very difficult To do It really A testament to The ability to write A song But you don't But think that stuff appealing? Isn't necessarily appealing To listen to you For can, the average Person, you can't tap exactly. your toe to it. it, it yeah. When you can't, you can't bob your head properly to a five four time. That goes to a four four time. See,
1: but that's what I was sort of talking about before. I found that super interesting about them. Like, I know nothing about music. I don't know how to read music. I wouldn't have known that they were switching time. I, I have no idea. Like, literally, no idea. But when that shift happens, I'm like, oh, this is cool. It's like a song within a song within a song. Like, I but actually that doesn't, but that found that so interesting. That doesn't
0: make for that doesn't make doesn't for make good radio, radio friendly. Play, okay, right. That doesn't okay. make for top forty. That that doesn't that doesn't it doesn't equate to that
1: no top 40 needs to be predictable and repetitive exactly
0: and i'm not saying that their tracks are not somewhat predictable and repetitive but there's a certain structure in which the songs are composed that isn't necessarily a radio friendly type of thing but what do i know
1: <laughs> What about you, Kurt? Because, mm-hmm. or I mean, actually, you do play music. I was gonna say as a non-musician, but man, you had a drum. <laughs> yeah, drum kit in your living room. You well, do play music. A, no,
2: I'm I'm not a musician. I you own as hardcore I own as musical Mark. instruments, but I'm not a musician. <laughs> but you
1: can play. I mean, I've seen you play guitar. Um, I've seen you play drums. You can play. Uh,
2: maybe three chords here and there.
1: <laughs> so then, what was it three. for you mm-hmm. that when you were this young guy? I mean, you're still a young guy, but when you were okay, a young you know,
0: guy, I think a big part of it too is these fuckers are from our hometown. Right? Right? Yeah. They grew up in your Part fucking backyard. Yeah, exactly. When you, when you hear, when you hear any of them talking about growing up in Willowdale, you're like, I, I, I have friends in Willowdale. I'm sorry.
1: Drake was from your hometown. Do you it's like Drake?
0: Different. It's a different story. To the guy in Degrassi? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's how I know him—the wheelchair guy in DeGrassi.
1: <laughs> I, I, do, I need to hear from Kurt. Why yeah, Why Rush? Why do you love Rush?
2: Um, I love it's. I think it's historical. Really, it, it It was. I had two older brothers too, so they probably introduced me to the band because it was at the time they were getting into music. Um, it was cool to listen to Rush, and they were at their their peak popularity probably at that time in the early '80s with uh you know, with the album Moving Pictures, I'd say it was probably the peak of popularity. Mm. That was the time when my brothers were just getting into high school, just getting into music, and music was would, would be the way they identified themselves. They're they're rockers and if you're a rocker, at that time you're a Rush fan. Mm. So that trickled down to me, like three or four years younger oh, my brothers are listening to this music, and so I listen to it. You didn't really have motion. a choice, actually. Yeah. It's playing Was my this house. strictly
1: a Canadian thing then? When you say, um, at that time in the early 80s, if you're a rocker, you listen to Rush. Do you think that young boys in America were listening to like, Rush, or was I this think, a Canadian thing? I think
2: thing? it was, at that time, they were breaking mm-hmm. North America for sure. Yep. Probably worldwide at that point, too. So it probably was a, a worldwide phenomenon, almost, I guess, at that point. Um, well, part of part of their their longevity is that they've 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 peaked at, at many different times. Like they their their first four or five albums, they peaked at say twenty one twelve, and then mm-hmm. they would peak again with with Moving Pictures, then then onwards and with other stuff. Nineties now into two thousand, so they have a long hist a long ca- a big catalog, mm-hmm. and they they have had success through uh, over a long period of time. It wasn't just one or two good albums. It was it was. <laughs> dozens of good albums. album after album yeah. after album but i'm um, I, get, I get back to the original question i, I don't know I, I i think it was well i think initially it was it was cool to like them because it, well, it's, it's what my older brothers are listening to but then beyond that I, I think i ended up becoming bigger fans than my brothers even was that it, it was like the only music that then you, when you there's multi multiple layers you know you listen to it at that time you know it's a hit and you listen to it, it that's fine but then you there's more to it after that there's a you open up the the album cover uh, liner notes you start reading the lyrics go oh, wow that that means something and i mm-hmm. i kind of get what he's talking about mm-hmm. and i can i, I can identify with what he's talking about and did then did neil
1: write all the lyrics
2: predominantly yeah i I'd, uh, probably 90% i mean earlier stuff getty maybe the odd song here and there getty or alex but predominantly neil wrote the lyrics yes and then it was just different layers it was, you just every every time you listen to a song you, you 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 almost hear something different or you can focus on something different mm-hmm. You could, one day you, you play you could focus on the, the bass guitars for And then it's like, wow, that's really cool what Kenny's doing. Next time you listen to it, you listen to it, the guitars and go, wow, Alex is really good. Like, what's he doing there? That's, that's, that's amazing. And then you listen to the drums the next time. Or then you listen to it as a whole. Wow, it really works together as a song. Yep. And beyond that, you listen to, then you start reading the lyrics and interpreting the lyrics. So it was always, it was always something rewarding. It wasn't like a, you know, like a typical pop song. You listen to it and then then two years, yeah. two years later it's out of your mind. It's more, it's more than just ear candy. Well, based on what I'm it.
1: hearing, like you both like literally everything about it. You like the writing. You like all of the layering of the music. You like the complexity of it. You like the lyrics, like you everything there's could you name something you don't like about and
0: they're likable dudes because they're just like they're they're, normal and humble they're exactly they're yeah that's three dudes that are craftsmen and it's 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 a very humble thing that they have going on and it's it was also
2: yeah then you then you get into, into the history of it and it's it was also their work ethic i think yeah they they worked hard to to become successful not through having a top hit or anything like that just just through word of mouth and playing live and and over time they weren't a band to sit on their laurels and and just stay the same they kept challenging themselves getting trying to get better and better Mm -hmm.
1: well since we were talking about neil i mean like fuck that dude was on stage until he was in so much physical pain he couldn't be on stage
2: that's part of it and you were and you were doubly rewarded when you got to see them live, in that on top of all we we talked about the songs and the albums when you saw them live, it was like, oh "My God, these guys are incredible yeah like they they're pulling it off three guys,
0: three guys, big fat sound, and it's it it sounds like you're listening to the fucking record,
2: yeah, right, and now on top of that, great lighting, great effects, great everything mm-hmm. it was their shows were like a you know Broadway level of production
1: they actually were i I have only been to two rush shows in the time that I was with Mark, he brought me to two of them. I mean, one of them obviously being the very last show here in Toronto. I know that you were there. We didn't go together, but I know you were obviously there. And I was probably like the most entertained I have ever been. And Mark kept sort of turning to me and saying like, sorry, like this isn't fun for you. And I'm like, no, like I'm legitimately having fun. I appreciated the talent that those guys had, was I a fan my entire life? No, I had no idea who the fuck Rush was. Like, that wasn't my genre of music. You're talking about how they exploded in the early 80s. I wasn't even mm-hmm. born yet. Yeah, yeah. But once Mark introduced me, that's why I I'm, I feel like, you know, it was, I, I used to make fun of him because it was just the thing to do. Like, I know his brother's wife used to make fun of him. It was like the thing to do, like, you guys are these Rush geeks and that you've You know, the whole cult mentality with that band. But once I actually got to go to a couple of shows, I was like, I get it. They are actually very, very talented musicians. You wanted my perspective. There it is. I had fun. You know what the weirdest thing about watching a show?
0: It's actually... I can't explain it. There are other ba- there's bands that I really enjoy their live show and it's it's a good show. But for some reason, when I watch Rush play, I almost feel like I'm just watching them work. It's such a it's a it's a weird thing because of the what I feel is like a certain seriousness that comes along with the show that says. You know we are going to play. We are going to put on the best show that we can. We're going to play the best that we can possibly play. We're going to do everything everything that we can to appeal to uh, you people that have paid your hard earned money to come see us play. Our hardcore fans. It, it, I I almost look at like all the members at some point and be like, you're at work right now. It feels like you're at work. Well, yeah, in a good that, way.
2: that goes back to my earlier point about their work ethic. I mean, they really treated it like yeah, like a like job. A job, and, right? And like, they wanted to to be their best every night. They're, they never dialed in any show. Never dialed like, in any
0: yeah. show. I'll, I'll give you an example. She took me once to go see Justin Timberlake and Jay-Z. Yes, I did. Yes, yes you did. And it was an enjoyable show. Mm-hmm. It's not quite a rush show. First of all, there was no problem getting to the mail washroom. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking clear as fuck. I was like, this is the first time I came to a fucking concert that I could just take a piss without standing in a fucking line for 20 minutes, which was great. And the other thing that struck me is this show starts at what time? Cool. They're not on yet. An hour later, they're not on yet. An hour later, they're not on yet. I'm thinking to myself, are you fucking kidding me? Because I've only really been to hardcore rock shows, which, mm-hmm. which don't necessarily go like this unless you're Guns N' Roses. But it's true. It's like, it's like, it's like you, watch, you watch Axl Rose or you watch Slash, who looks like he doesn't give a fuck, yeah. whether he's there or not, right? I'm not saying I, that's the I totally the agree, yeah. And maybe that's the persona that you give off, but I enjoy watching fucking Neil. Like Every note that I hit is important. I'm not yep. fucking this up. Yeah. I'm I'm playing the best I possibly can. I'm deliver I'm going to stand and fucking deliver tonight.
2: Yeah. Every note he's hitting the, the the hardest he can hit it possibly and to the to the best of his abilities. Yeah. You can't go wrong when you see a rush show. I think that that was it was it was like you, you know what you're getting, kind of thing. I've seen other bands where I feel like they're just dialing it in. They're just cashing in Like
0: who? Tell me who. <laughs> who, 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 who does that for you? Uh,
2: I don't know. It's hard to say. Um stones in their later days. <laughs> There's
0: so many s- weird stories about the Stones. Yeah, where like Keith Richards doesn't even play it right anymore. Yeah,
2: you know the people behind the curtains kind of thing. Yeah,
0: where where fucking the stage guys don't even don't even yeah. put him on to the house house speakers.
2: I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't impressed with Harold Smith. Wasn't. Impressed with? It's hard to say. I mean, I, uh, there are a lot of other bands that have good work ethic as well. But you know, with Rush, it was it was over the top. They're mm, An interesting
0: group of people.
1: Kurt just reminded me the fact that he lost his daughter and his wife like back to back. In a year, yeah. It's super sad. And I know way more about Rush than I ever thought I would ever know. If twelve years ago, if you had told me that I would be sitting here, sitting in a room with you two talking mm. about Rush, I would have been like, no way, man. But We've watched a lot of, like, I've watched documentaries with you, Mm -hmm. and I've watched a lot of interviews with Neil, and I actually do find him super fascinating. Kurt, you said you were almost or as affected by his death than when you've personally lost people in Mm -hmm. your life. What do you think it was about Neil that you felt like such a connection with? Like, why this this drummer, do you feel the same way with the whole band or did you feel like more personally invested in him and his whole backstory?
2: I, I, yeah, I, I think so. Um Yeah. I alluded to the fact, I mean, he had earlier tragic losses in his life. So he, he'd lost a teenage daughter to a car accident. Then within that year, his wife passed away. So at that point in time, everyone thought that was probably the end of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they took a big hiatus at that time. But for me, why I feel maybe per, more personally connected with Neil, probably more than the other band member. Not that I know any of them <laughs> in real life, but <laughs> there's a, I, I read a lot of his books as well. I think that's the bottom line. Um, I had a loss in about 96, 97, uh, lost my father and nothing made sense to me at that time. None of it mm. made sense. I couldn't, I couldn't understand life, death, what it all meant. None of it made sense. But Neil had then wrote a book about his loss called Ghostwriter. a book called Ghostwriter. And how he dealt with the loss of his daughter and then wife, which is probably even more tragic than me losing a father, which is a bit more natural. Uh, And honestly, it was the only book, only thing that anyone ever told me that made any sense and helped me deal with my own loss. So I had that personal connection with him having written that book.
1: As a writer yourself, I mean, you wanted to be a writer and we know that neil's lyrics are phenomenal how is the writing in the book oh he's a great
2: writer i mean his intelligence shines through even more than in the lyrics um because it's in prose rather than lyric and it's his his intelligence shines he's like a super 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 intelligent guy have you read this book have
1: i ghostwriter yeah uh, yeah yeah. yeah. i assume so just check it
0: it might actually even be on that shelf
1: out there yeah it might be or if it's not there it's on a bookshelf at home somewhere so I I assumed that you were most connected with Neil because I think a lot of Rush fans are because of the fact that he had such an elaborate backstory and just some of the stuff he would do I think either fascinated people or they identified with it like the fact that he would like not always jump on the tour bus he would jump on his bike to go yeah. between shows like just Neil was just this sort of tortured person who just did what made him I guess, feel mm-hmm. good or feel comfortable or whatever he needed to do to make it to his next gig. Like Mark said, he was going to work. So maybe he needed that alone time on his motorcycle. I don't know between dealing with billions I th- I think of people.
2: I part of it. Yeah. I mean, he was a pretty cool geek, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I feel very connected
0: to the music. I don't necessarily feel connected to the people. And so for example, I've had the opportunity to meet some of these guys right so I used to do personal training in Mississauga at this really high end club this really high end fitness club and one of the dudes I trained his his cottage was next door to to Getty and he's like do you want to come meet Getty you want to come up to the cottage meet Getty I'm like fuck no, I don't want to come out to the cottage and meet Getty. Like, I I like the guy. He seems like a nice guy or whatever the case is. But I like when he's on stage with two other dudes playing the music that I like, that I connect with. So I don't necessarily feel connected to them as people, even though I can get into the lyrics and get into the book and I kind of understand that. I I feel most of the connection with the music. What the fuck was I even saying with this? What was your question? I don't remember.
1: It was just, no, it wasn't a question. I had made a comment how I think that a lot of Rush fans feel very connected to Neil because... Because of just his life and all of the experiences that he's had and the fact that he would do things like ride his motorcycle across the country. What to and- me
0: is appealing about them, kind of aside from music, is it's not about a success, rock and roll, lifestyle, anything. Like do you know at what I mean? all.
1: They're all like family men. That, yeah. that,
0: that to me is part of part of the appeal we get together we create some really fucking cool interesting art we throw it out into the world a lot of people dig it we have a mass following and like that's super appealing that it's not it's not sex drugs rock and roll tight leather pants and uh, tattoos do you know what i mean like i enjoy that shit too don't get me wrong but it, that's part of the appeal for this band and that's why it, tight leather pants. <laughs> there's a certain level of intelligence that's there and it's it, it life, kinda, I'm gonna have to disagree. Kind of goes through it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he has them, though. I know for a fact.
0: I returned those. You did? I don't own them anymore.
2: Do you know. You know that's
1: Are right? you guys having like a real conversation? You owned tight leather pla- pants and I'm just learning about this now they were, on the podcast? He yes,
0: he did. Oh, no, okay. You've, you've, you you've know this story. No,
1: I don't.
0: You know how I had, I had a client who gave me a whole bunch of clothes. Right. And part of that clothing package was a pair of... D-K-N-Y, black leather pants.
2: <laughs> They're probably worth $1,000 or, so, or more.
0: They they were they were quite a pretty penny, but I wouldn't even want to try to pull off leather pants. Leather pants don't seem very appealing to me. I'm sorry. Although
1: back in his drinking days, Mark once did, I'm saying this on air, I really am. Mark did try on a pair of my skinny jeans. That's different. I'm telling you, they looked phenomenal.
0: <laughs> it's different. To me, jeans are not supposed to have a stretch component to it. So I was kind of curious. You. Yeah. Should, there, should not is not be, there should
2: not be latex in your jeans. Yeah, we're old school.
1: Well, sorry guys with your perfectly <laughs> skinny legs. My thunder so thighs wait. need some stretch. So then
0: what do you think about skinny pants? I think they're goofy looking. Well, I think, honestly, I have a feeling that like 40 years from now, we're all going to look back at pictures of a whole bunch of dudes in skinny pants and say like, that was a really fucking bad move. It looks really goofy. I agree. Maybe that's because I can't pull it off. (laughs) Do you think people that wear skinny pants right now pull it off? The majority of people don't. You would pull it off just as much as everyone else that's wears fucking skinny pants.
1: That is your old school mentality, though, because do you think... Women look okay in skinny pants?
0: Do I think women look okay yes. in skinny pants? Well, they're women's pants, so yes.
1: But this is what I'm saying. This is your old school mentality. We live in a day and age now where gender is an imagined construct and people can dress in clothes that are appealing to them and that of they feel comfortable in. I, I'm not debating that. So I'm saying- but Just because you're has, comfortable in it doesn't mean it looks right. Right. But it, I or it I, looks think you're. But I think you're- decision of it not looking right is based on the fact that you grew up with these are male things, these are female things. Listen... I'm not that's saying you're me, you're wrong I, on anything. I'm just I saying should
0: not have to maximally plantar flex my ankle to get my <laughs> leg in my pants. Okay.
1: <laughs> Why, man? Women have been doing that for so that's long. Seems <laughs> I don't.
2: I I got big calves too. I can't
1: pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> I have huge calves. I'm wearing skinny jeans right now. You guys just need to be more open minded. Try okay, them okay, out.
2: Okay. What do I know?
1: <laughs> just don't wear my Lululemons.
2: Clothes shouldn't restrict your movement. In- <laughs>
1: It's like the old times hanging out with you two, only you're both old men now. Let's go back to talking about Neil. For people who don't know anything about Rush, if you were to read the Cole's notes, who was this guy? What was he like?
2: Well, obviously, we don't know. We we never knew him personally, but it's part of the appeal, to be honest with you. And, and he, he was, was very, a private very guy. Private. Yeah, the whole band's private. It's it's
0: a, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's refreshing.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think I guess maybe we didn't even explain this, but the, the reason we're talking about it is that he did pass away tragically. For uh, um, he was fighting brain cancer for three and a half years, and I think. That hit me because no one knew about it. They kept it very well hidden. Mm -hmm. And so for the past three and a half, four years since their last tour, there was always that hope and possibility that maybe they could still tour, do a one-off show here, do another album but not tour. There was always that possibility.
1: When did it become public knowledge that Neil was really not doing so well? It
2: wasn't it, until it two, two days after his death. Di- he died on a Tuesday. They released the it to released the, the on the, the, the Friday. On like,
1: so yeah. nobody, fans had no idea no, fan, no. that he was that sick. Nope. No.
2: I, I've I've found out since that the, the inner circle knew, obviously, but they were they, they were obviously vigilant and not letting it out to the
1: public. Mm-hmm. Like I do remember them speaking about the fact that It was unlikely they would tour anymore between... I think it was Alex who had like major arthritis, so he had some pain. Uh, Neil was in pain. I mean, they were were getting older, but nobody had any idea that there was any major health issues. I didn't know that.
2: If the timeline is correct, yeah. When they ended the last tour, he probably wouldn't have known he had cancer. And then it was only shortly thereafter that he found out. Um, So yeah, I mean, there was always that possibility that, yeah, not... The official statement was they're not going to ever tour on that scale again. Mm-hmm. So that that meant there was still the hope, smaller venues or shortened dates, possibly another album was always still possible. So and that that's why the news was some, somewhat sort of shocking because everyone thought, well, they're, maybe they'll still do something later in the future. And then it kind of just all came out of the blue that he did pass away and that he'd been fighting brain cancer for three and a half years i almost feel a bit guilty because in those three and a half years i was always saying oh come on neil just get out there and do something with the boys and get, <laughs> get, do an album at least you know Meanwhile, all the guys fighting fighting brain cancer and it's that's also tragic he's left behind another 10 year old daughter and and a wife mm-hmm. which having read his books he was v- very very close with that 10 year old daughter and mm-hmm. was really enjoying and Looking forward to spending time with her after retiring from the touring. So that's, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a 10 year old losing your father. This whole episode is breaking my heart. Uh, that's part of it. I mean, that's part of why it did hit me so hard and, and, and Mark, I guess, is that it's a tra- very tragic story. The guy who suffers, who initially suffers the loss of a teenage daughter and a wife, rebuilds his career, rebuilds a the family, then he ends up uh, passing away. When
1: you had said earlier that we were talking again about, um, How it affected you guys And you said I don't know if it was you or Mark That said Do you feel stupid For feeling like So hit by somebody you didn't know And I was thinking about the fact that The number of people Who were like devastated By Kobe Bryant's death Mm -hmm. Myself included I'm not a basketball fan But I was like Mm -hmm. Oh my god But it was that reason Because Kobe was in the helicopter with his thirteen-year-old daughter, and mm-hmm. I had a client who was like, "I can't even talk about it because imagine being the parent, sitting in that helicopter, knowing you're both going to die. What do you say to your kid? I think his his
2: his his death too. I guess when it's when it's, un- when it's unexpected, it hits harder too because I mean he's forty-one. I think Yeah, he was a young so, guy, so that wasn't expected at all. And, and for us, Neil was unexpected. He was only only 67. You know, was-
1: yeah, like neither one of them were old, old guys. I mean, Kobe's death hit a lot of people. Whether you loved or hated him, I think the, the biggest impact of that one was, A, the fact that he was with his daughter and he left behind a family. Same with Neil. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he... First had to suffer a tragic loss of a family, and then finally rebuilt a life again, and now is leaving behind this family. So the whole thing is just tragic
2: all around. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I think that's why it, it hit hit me so hard. Um, having been that guy that helped me through an earlier loss, now this guy is gone. So it's it's tragic, you know, and, and ironic that the guy that, that helped you deal with death is <laughs> he's now passed away early, prematurely. You know, so. That's why it for me it, it hit even harder and
1: brain cancer, I have a client who just lost her second husband. Let me back this up. She has had two husbands pass away from cancer, so she was married and had two children, and when her children were young, her first husband passed away from cancer and then uh when her kids were, are now grown they're in one's in high school, one's in university. At the end of 2019, she got engaged and remarried to a man. And uh, the day after they got married, he also passed away from cancer. And there's literally nothing you can say to somebody who's had to deal with that. I mean, everybody knows somebody who's dealt with cancer. Like everybody knows somebody who's been affected by cancer in some way. But there's literally nothing you can say to somebody who just lost somebody from cancer, because, like you said, when you were talking about losing your father so young, it doesn't make sense like no, no part of it makes sense. There's this disease that exists, and this super intelligent species humans can't figure out how to deal with it yeah,
2: and even i I don't even know anything about brain cancer, but i like how how do you check for that so like you know you prostate cancer you you know you, you check here, poke there breast cancer, you do your checks, but i do even check for brain cancer? I don't know. Like, you know, it's bizarre.
1: Yeah, I guess with certain types of cancer, well, not even just brain cancer, certain types of cancer, it's not until there is some sort of drastic symptoms that we typically know anything. So that's why there's certain types of cancer that have a better prognosis because early detection is possible. I don't think that there's anybody who just goes for routine brain scans. I don't think Ohip covers that.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so. Celebrity deaths don't really bother me that much. I don't know. I don't get hit did, by did celebrity. Neil death.
2: Peart's death bother? You? Uh, this it did.
0: Yeah. It did. But generally, celebrity deaths don't bother me. No, I, 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 I don't agree know. As well. I don't know why. I
1: think death in general bothers me, regardless of who it is or the situation. If somebody talks to me about a death that to me seems, I guess, unfair. Is the only term I can think of, mm-hmm. but I mean, is death fair ever? But when somebody dies of something like cancer or they're in some sort of tragic accident there's always a part of me that's like, man, like how is this fucking fair? Mm. Much
2: as I've, I've said that I was affected by Neil Peart's passing, I, I generally don't feel anything for other celebrities. Yeah I, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I think in general, I, I don't, I'm not impressed <laughs> with a lot of celebrities. And I don't think what they do is that great. And, and, and their, their, their fame isn't, isn't that earned in a lot of times. So I don't, I, don't, I don't have many other people that- See,
0: are. I used to think of, about about certain types of celebrities that way. Like, it's not that great whatever you do. I don't know if the the level of fame and recognition you have is comparable to your skill set but I really think a lot of, for you to get to that level, there's there's something that you have that that other people don't, even if you're, a sh- like, okay, for example, we were, what were we watching the other day? We were watching some sort of music something the other day, and then we were talking about how, okay, well, this person's not the greatest singer in the world, but mm-hmm. they're part of this band, and if they weren't in this band, this band wouldn't have this sound, this band wouldn't be what they are. So they're actually a very vital component we to what are We were actually here. just
1: watching different performances on YouTube, on YouTube. and I was was watching pink sing yes and i just turned to mark and said watching pink perform anything shows you how shitty other people are like she just makes everything so effortless her voice is like yeah and then but but then we started
0: started talking about bands let's take i don't know the lead singer's name from jane's addiction because we were watching a video from jane's Mm -hmm. addiction that guy doesn't sing very well He's not a great vocalist, mm-hmm. right? But he's a vital component to Jane's Addiction. He's a vital component that makes Jane's Addiction have success.
1: I you want pluck to add in that I didn't know we were watching Jane's Addiction. You, you pluck I him out no idea who and that you guy put was. him on his own. He can't stand on his own. He
0: name's on a tip of my tongue. Hmm,
2: um, whatever his fucking anyway, name is. But, no, but that you could can't be, stand, be, stand on it your It could own. also be the way that the songs are written and who's taking the lead in the band. I mean, look at a band like Van Halen, the original lineup. Okay. Every, everyone assumed like Michael Anthony couldn't play. Okay. Right. Because he's 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 relegated to playing two or three notes in a song. Because yes. that's the way Eddie wrote the songs and didn't want him to come to the exactly. But then you hear him now in with. In Chicken Foot and other these other bands, he's a pretty good bass player.
0: But you take him out of the band and you don't have Van Halen's sound anymore, right? Even though the bass lines are kind of elementary, right? But you take him out of the band, you don't have the same tone to these elementary bass lines. You don't have the same vocal range or vocals that happen backing. He's a vital component to the sound of the band. You take out David Lee Roth and you throw in Sammy Hager, guess what? You got a fucking different band. It's called Van Halen, but it sounds so fucking different. different It's two different bands. Altogether,
2: but does that detract from their when someone achieves fame? Then I mean, that was the original point that you're saying. If some, in general, when a celebrity passes away, it doesn't really you don't really care. Does that mean that you don't think they had much talent or they didn't deserve their fame?
1: It's just there's no personal connection. I'm assuming. Whereas I'm very different by nature. I am super empathetic. And it's funny because a lot of people who know me really well would describe me as not being super emotional. I'm not super emotional when it comes to decision making and life choices and things like that. I'm very logical, but I feel things. I feel for people. So even when a celebrity dies, immediately my mind goes to their family and you know what they must have been going through and how they felt. Like. I didn't know Neil Peart. I felt zero connection to the guy. I mean, he was a talented guy. But when I saw the news online that he passed away, immediately I was like, oh, that's so sad. And I text Mark. I'm like, did you know that this happened? And when I heard about Kobe Bryant, not a basketball fan, I knew nothing about Kobe Bryant. In fact, some people don't have nice things to say about him. But immediately I was like, fuck, man. He was a father. He was a husband. Like, that sucks. So when I hear of anybody's death, celebrity, not celebrity, when somebody dies in a way that I feel like, oh, this, you know, obviously it was their time, but it seems like shit that sucks that it was their time. I'm going to feel bad for them. When I hear of somebody passing away, like actually two of my grandparents, two out of four of my grandparents lived into their nineties and both of them passed away peacefully surrounded by their family, like completely happy. You would think I would have been super sad about my grandparents, who I'm very close with. I feel like I was less sad when they died than I was when I hear of some random person dying at the age of 40.
2: So it's just the way they died that that matters to you? It's- Or or who's around?
1: It's all the circumstances surrounding it. So yeah, when somebody passes away suddenly, you know, there was no lead up to it. So for example, I had mentioned my grandparents- My grandmother went into hospital at the age of 97 and we were sort of all told that her body was just shutting down. Like she was dying of old age. There was nothing necessarily like, you know, she didn't go in there because she had any kind of disease or there was a, it was just, she was 97 and her body was shutting down. And so all of us got to go to the hospital and say goodbye to her. And she was not sad. She was just sort of laying in the hospital bed and happy to see everybody before she passed away peacefully. It was not It was not a sad moment. Well, anyway, the point of this entire episode was to talk about Neil Peart and the passing of him. And I think we kind of did that. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Music related or non-music related? This went down a death path, but I mean, that's a reality of life and everybody has to deal with it. And I mean, if Neil Peart's writing Helped Kurt get through one of the darkest moments of his entire life. Maybe people dealing with recently losing somebody, listening to us talk about death, maybe will help them. Maybe read, not.
2: Read the book. It helped.
1: What is the book called? For anybody listening, <laughs> that, if they want to read that one, is the book? called
2: Ghost Rider. There's a, yeah, there's a couple. books.
1: Ghostwriter. Okay. Um,
2: there's others, uh, but that was the one that mainly dealt with death and his recovery from it, uh, from dealing with death.
1: Is there a recovery? Can you actually recover from dealing with the death of somebody? That you were super close with somebody that was like your entire life, like this was his wife and his daughter. Can you recover from that? I don't think you recover. It changes you. I think. I think, and the, and you're changed by that. Uh, whether you recover from it, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think you need to first define
0: what
1: you mean by recover. I don't know. He just said his recovery. Did you get I- better. You can probably get better. If, if
2: I, I I recently reread his last book, uh, which was. written after the last tour, but before the brain cancer. And he says to this day, there isn't a day he goes that goes by that he doesn't think about his first daughter, the one he lost, the teenage daughter. So I I, I don't think you ever recover or forget, but you you deal with it. Losing a kid is is a whole other fucking story. It was funny in the book itself. I mean, his daughter, current second daughter, would have been around 10. In the book he was talking about, she's getting to the age that he's going to finally tell her the story of her first sister, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if he ever got to that. Which so is kind of weird.
0: Sad shit, man. Like I said, death doesn't really fucking affect me so much. There's there's only been a couple times that I've been really slapped in the face with with people dying, and mm-hmm. it's always surrounded by something that just comes out of nowhere. Like we made mention of our friend Ron when Ron has an older brother, mm-hmm. Mike. When when Mike passed away, like that that fucked me up for a long
2: time. I still get fucked up by by that, but. Well, those, I, I think those those deaths that c- come unexpectedly and and not in the natural course or not in the natural timeline are the ones that yeah. hit you the most, I think. Yeah, for sure. Like M- Mike, I know this guy too. Mike was what, 45 or something? Yeah, mid-40s. Yeah. He
1: was 45. And I, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember I was, I didn't know them well, obviously. I mean, I know Ron really well, but I remember meeting Mike's wife at the funeral and I walked out of the funeral home. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, kind of mad. He left two daughters or three? Two. Two young kids. Makes no sense. Makes you wonder. What does it make you wonder? About
1: what it's all about. What is it
2: all about? Don't know yet.
0: <laughs> what do you think it's all about? Do you ever watch the show The Good Place? No.
2: Is like The Good Wife? Like I watched The Good Wife. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, not quite like that. Good times. Mark and I view
1: The Good Place very differently. <laughs> oh, I can't the watch it. The entire premise of the show is about the afterlife. Mm, okay. But I mean, it's so ridiculous it's, it's lighthearted, in my opinion, but the premise of the show really fucks with Mark's head, so we can't watch it together. I watch it when he's not home. Yeah, or
0: I can take it in small doses. Mm. I, can't, I can't watch too much There's shows. good
2: times. That. I think you learn a lot from that show. Good times? J.J. <laughs> D- Walker. Dynamite?
0: <laughs> that
2: is a good show. Did I
0: recently it? posted, and when I say recently, within the last six months, I posted the best dad moment on TV, and it was from good times. What was the moment? It was the Black Jesus episode. Have you ever seen the Black Jesus episode? Probably seen it, but I can't remember. Oh,
1: don't make him recount it. It makes him cry.
0: It's it's a great fucking episode, uh, if I can remember. It,
2: they lost the father in that show, didn't they? Yeah, he they died.
0: Or- yeah. Um. So the Black Jesus episode. There's a best dad moment in that. So essentially, JJ he paints a picture of Jesus, but he paints Jesus as black. Yeah. And you know how Michael, the younger son, he's all like black power kind yeah. of kid, right? And so Michael loves this Black Jesus. The mother who's super religious is like this is pure blasphemy like you can't hang this in my house kind of thing right and so black jesus is bringing really really good luck to the father Mm -hmm. in this episode and uh, in this episode jj is also going to put forward a piece of art for a competition and he wants to use black jesus because that is one of his better pieces of art but yeah. his dad is like you're not taking this off the wall this is bringing me good luck and i've got a job interview and he's always you know he's always fucking unemployed looking for a job yeah, yeah. Blah, blah. i need a job interview like i need this black jesus around and so J.J.'s like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll I'll take another one of my paintings. And he's like, Junior D, it is Black Jesus, this is actually your best work? Do you think it's your best work? Do you think you're going to win? He's like, yeah, I probably could. He's like, okay, well, it's your painting. Don't let me tell you what I can do with your painting. Yeah. You take it. You deserve it. Yeah. That was like the best dad moment yeah, ever. Cool. I mean, I didn't do it any fucking justice right now. But it was, it was like-
2: Maybe it, that it, episode inspired Madonna to do her video, like a prayer. <laughs> Uh, there's the Beatles and Butthead moment. <laughs>
1: there it is. We get very deep and then we come right back. Yeah,
0: Black Jesus. It was a good episode though. If you if if, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. No,
2: I I don't recall that episode. It was a good TV show. You can't you I can't watch eight is enough. More
1: you than can't you
0: times. can't do TV shows like that anymore. <laughs> there are no TV shows like that anymore. No.
1: I want to say one last thing about death before we wrap this up. Yeah. Because um, we uh, we posted something online combining these two things we've talked about. We posted a photo of Kobe with Rush lyrics. What yes. were the lyrics?
0: The lyrics when we are young. Wondering what our dreams might be worth. Learning that we're only immortal. We're only immortal
2: for we're a limited time. time.
1: So we posted this as sort of a combo as tribute. sort of a well it, 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 was, it was it was just tribute. sort of a um the entire world was mourning the death of someone, right? So Mark posted this with like the message of you're only immortal for so long or whatever. My voice is going so bad right now. Hold on. I need more tea. Um, So Mark posted this with the Rush lyrics and uh there was a person, a commenter who got upset because of Kobe's history and the sexual assault charges, whatever mm-hmm. it was, 17 years ago. And upset at you for posting, or upset at upset at us for posting it. You know, like why are you? Mm-hmm. I, I guess sort of why are we remembering this guy? And we were both like, oh man, like that was so lost on this one person who commented. This isn't necessarily just about Kobe. This isn't Mm -hmm. about Neil. This isn't about anyone. It's about the fact that, what's the meaning? You can die anytime. You're only immortal for so long. And and part of the
0: reason why I chose some of those lyrics to go with that post was was, it was kind of mixed up all over the place. It's like, all you are is trying to figure out how to navigate through the world. And sometimes you do really good shit. And sometimes you do really crappy shit and you you're just trying to make your way through and at some point you realize you're not invincible Mm -hmm. and, and it hits you like that and then for other people Mm-hmm. They might not even get to live long enough to get to the point where they realize they're not invincible, and so there was there was a, so much more deeper shit behind that post when I posted <laughs> it, other than he was a great athlete and we, we lost a great athlete and possibly someone. That yeah, does it was some it was not about it that. was it wasn't that it wasn't about that at all. Mm-hmm. It was just more about the idea of how do you navigate through the world. And your life changes through the the longer you're around and you start to strip down all of your fucking armor at some point and you become really really vulnerable but that', but that I, was I think correct the correct from me. raw
2: I think that that outlook on life does come from a lot of what we've read in lyrics or what Neil's written oh yeah because, for because sure. they build, they also follow that philosophy I think and so maybe you thinking like that is 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 from from liking rap. oh def- oh no that's that's all
0: definitely part of it. but i mean putting that with that particular picture that i put up like yeah. it, it had nothing to do with basketball it had nothing to do with this athlete it had nothing to do with kobe it had nothing to do with that it had everything to do with exactly what those lyrics are saying and this just happened to fall into the time that these lyrics made a lot of sense
2: yeah i, I think there's all there was uh, there's that reaction to the kobe bryant death that obviously people have like people are like hello he also was charged with this and that and the other thing but i i can see why maybe someone got pissed off it wasn't meant to meant to be. You know, be pissed off. That's okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. fucking okay with that. I enjoy when you guys react to people get pissed off in your podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the stuff I read the most. That's, that's a big positive of having this podcast is we can just spew out our frustrations at all the nonsense that we have to deal with as business owners.
2: But I, I like how you do deal with it diplomatically somehow. Like if someone's pissed off and they say, oh, you whatever, you're swearing too much and it's unprofessional. Thanks for listening. You gave it the good old college try. <laughs> that and, but then, and you, you know, there's always the 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 ten other posts that say, "Look, I like it this way. I can relate to it better, and whatever." Yeah. And, and hopefully, that's why you're getting, you know, building a following is that you are relatable. Well, yeah, we're, I'm not even trying real. to be
1: relatable. I'm trying to be it's real. Just real, and that's real talk. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it's either hashtag real talk. Either you like what we do or you don't like what we do but the point is if you don't like what we do
0: yeah. that
1: is absolutely okay i have no hate for you it's just you know what the part i'm that not kills gonna me, change the, me the
0: part that kills me the most is have you never seen a rated r movie have you never gone to a comedy show it's not like, about that we're though. not the evening it's, news but it's the so perception, why would you expect why would you expect evening news
1: of Professional that we talk about all the time. Yeah. Why? It's a fucking but It doesn't matter. It's each person <laughs> that criticizes us, talks about the fact that we are healthcare professionals and we are not Guess conducting what? ourselves. So, in so
0: that way. is the cardiologist that used to be my patient and he is the most inappropriate motherfucker all the fucking time, well, I, except I, when yeah. he's got a scalpel in his fucking hands. He's just a real fucking guy. That's all there is to it. No,
1: I know that. I'm not asking you to defend it. I'm just saying that. For some reason, there's certain people who believe that if you're a healthcare professional, Guess what? that 100% of the time you need to act like this.
0: Healthcare professional You know what I bet you this is not Something that happens In the medical doctor Community I bet you I bet you It's this low Fucking level Of trying to Scratch in And be amongst Healthcare professionals That you have to Over fucking compensate In the way that you Think the way that you Act just so you Think you can fit in What Doctors was don't that, Was doctors, that Compensating when you Said same. over Doctors compensate. don't Doctors don't Fucking feel that way Dentists don't feel that way The top of the food chain Don't feel that way You're You're not even In the fucking food chain you you don't even reach the bottom of the food chain yet you feel that way because you have to overcompensate
2: uh, along those lines I, I as as a lawyer which we've alluded to in the earlier <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't see the why i have to act any different just because i'm a lawyer why exactly. i mean i can't swear i can't do like like screw that I'll i'll be who i am exactly. and i i hate th- those and maybe this is why I, I don't work for another firm or another other lawyers i hate that image, okay, you're a lawyer, so you gotta do this, you gotta wear this, you gotta talk like this, you gotta do that. I go, no, why? Like, Makes no
1: fucking sense. Yeah. Can we end this episode with you guys <laughs> laughing like Beavis and Butthead? It would just yeah. make my day. Shut up, Beavis. <laughs> hurt uh, come on I, I can't do it on on command i need tp for my bungalow. <laughs> i know he wants to he just won't. Well, fine I don't, I can't. Hey, we've hit a new low all right loving every minute of it well i guess i guess we're done here then well
2: i, I, I think back to the the, re, the re, <laughs> original reason why we're here although we strayed topics i guess we're just both wanted to pay our respects to this guy neil peart that was influential at a minimum to our, in our lives, and he's 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 passed away earlier than he should have. So rest in peace.
0: Right on, you guys have been listening to two massage therapists of a microphone, peace.